Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. I do want to mention something that is special for our church, and that is that Miss Aline Turner, who is faithful to watch online and um, also very faithful to send in her tithes and offerings, is um, turning 100 years old this Wednesday. Would y'all celebrate as she's watching right now? I hope that uh, that is a blessing to you as you celebrate your birthday this week, Miss Turner. And um, it's really just pretty special for a church or a group to celebrate something like that. I want to show you something. Uh, this is my Kindle. How many of you have a Kindle? You have one of these, all right? I'm talking about the Kindle reader, not the, like the, the fire, the tablet. This is a reader. And um, these are absolutely one of my very favorite things in the entire world. I, I don't exactly know why it is, but I really, really love these things. I read on it uh, daily, a couple times a day, and um, just love them. And I understand as I talk about these sometimes, uh, people will understandably not get it, all right? So they'll, they'll be like, uh, so, so what can you do with it? And I'll say, well, you can read a book. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, uh, can you play games? And I'll say, no, you just read a book, you know? And they're like, well, what about online? Can you get online? Check your social media, get on your email? No, none of that. You could just read a book. That is all that you can do. And I fully understand that for many people, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, they will ultimately usually respond to me by saying, well, I can do that with my iPad. I can do that with my phone, or I can do that with a book. And so they don't understand why it is that that I would love something like this and reading a book. They also usually say to me, those of you who really like printed books, they'll almost always tell me that, well, I just love the way that books smell. To which I respond, weird, all right? And so, uh, I mean, sniffing books is just, if that's your thing, uh, it's just not mine. You know, I enjoy reading a book. There is something interesting. There's something beautiful about the simplicity of it. Also, I feel like I'm about to cough really hard here in a minute. And I'm trying not to. There's something beautiful about the simplicity of it. That's the reason that these things are so cool to me and to other people. There are no notifications. There's no email. There's no calls. There's no interruptions. You just read a book. And there's a lot of things in our lives that when we first think about them, they seem so simple, but there is beauty to it. There's a depth to it. Like if I was to ask you, how does a person walk? You might say, well, you just put one foot in front of the other and fall slowly, right? It's simple. It's easy to do. How does a person drive? How do you drive? Well, you just turn it on, press the one on the right, and go. That's, that's it. That's all you do. Reading. Once you learn to read, right, you can't help but read. You see a word on a shirt or a billboard or, or on a page, and you instantly read it. Very simple. Easy things. We all do this sort of stuff, but... When we think more deeply about it, it's not that simple. In fact, there's a lot of depth and a lot of beauty to it. How does a person walk? Well, there's all sorts of muscles and joints and bones. There's uh, your, your little toe 
has a lot to do with staying upright and walking. Gravity is at play. If you've ever hurt your leg or needed to rehab and learn to walk again, you understand that walking is much more complex than we even imagine. Driving is extremely complex. Deep, there's, uh, there's complex computers, mechanical systems, all sorts of things that are going on. It's not just turn it on and press the right one and go. When you're reading, think about that for a moment. When you're reading, light is reflecting off of something. Your eyeball is turning it upside down, sending it to your brain, and your brain is instantly deciphering a code. Someone is communicating a thought by writing it down on a piece of paper. You are picking that up through the paper or Kindle and, and bringing it to your mind and understanding it. It's complex. It's, it's beautiful. It's interesting. Sometimes the job of a preacher is to remind or to explain something that's lost through language and culture. Sometimes that is the task, but often, most often, the goal is to simply shepherd you or guide us as we think more deeply about something that's pretty simple, to think more deeply about it, and then to apply that to our lives. In Jeremiah chapter 18, we're going to do just that. An extremely simple story. It's only a few verses, and the illustration is right there. All of us instantly, or pretty instantly, understand what's going on in the text. And yet, for the moments that we have this morning, I want to think more deeply about it. Take it apart. Look at each part and apply that to our lives. Let's pray together before we do, and then we'll look at it. Father God, we are so thankful for the, simple, the simplicity of your word. I pray now that we would think deeply, that we'd use the imagination and the intellect and the thought that you have given us, that we'd see what it is that you were communicating through your prophet Jeremiah, and that today we would apply it to our lives. We would leave here with greater grace toward one another, with an acceptance of what it is that you are doing, and with an appreciation of what it is you are doing through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So Jeremiah chapter 18, I'm just going to read four verses to you. This is one through four. This is what the word of God says. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house, and there I will reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working away. It's a great phrase. Working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hands. And so he made it into another jar as it seemed right for him to do. Easy text to follow. However, there are some things that maybe if you're not familiar with it, you may not immediately know. Like for instance, this isn't sculpting. This is what's called um, throwing pottery. They'll take a lump of clay and throw it onto a wheel. The wheel is then spun around and around and around. They'll wet their hands and begin to shape the clay. At this point, they didn't have electricity and that sort of stuff, and so they would spin it with their legs as they would shape that clay. Uh, it, it sounds more like you would call it spinning clay, but throwing clay, throwing pottery to me sounds like you're mad at something, right? But this is an artistic expression. As you can see in the video, and as you can probably imagine in your mind, there's something that I really want us to um, pick up, especially as you watch it, is that for the potter to make the clay, 
his hands are going to get dirty. He's going to get all the way in the middle of that mess. When you're done with this, especially in this habit of spinning it with your leg, you should be tired, exhausted, dirty, and like most artists, probably frustrated or pleased with the art that you have made. This is the imagery that God instructed Jeremiah to write down and to see for himself. But what does it mean? It's easy for us to see, but what does it mean in our lives? First and foremost, what I want to pick up here is that he was working away. What he sees the potter doing is working, is laboring, is striving to accomplish something that he sets out to do. The Hebrew word for potter there is the same as shaper. It's the same word that is used in the uh, creation account in which God himself is shaping humanity, shaping man and shaping women. He is forming them into something that he wants. And, and the question is this, from the text, what is it that the shaper, the potter is making? What's he making there? Can you see it? It's a jar. It says it twice. There's a jar. Now, I know you understand this, but this is the exercise this morning. Let's think about that. He is making a jar. He's not making a bowl. He's not making a plate. He's making a jar. In that time frame, without running water, without refrigeration, then jars played an integral part to their livelihood, to their lives. Jars held liquids. They held water or wine or juice. It held it for a longer time into which you would need it later. What I'm trying to get at here is that this thing that the potter is making has a function. It has a purpose. There was a plan, a job for this thing to do before it was ever made. The potter has in his mind a purpose for the thing that he is making. It's not just that it is utilitarian, but it is also artistic. We're not talking about mason jars here. We're not talking about some um, coffee mug that's mass produced that you could purchase at Walmart or Target. Every single one of these jars is made uniquely. It is handmade. It is shaped by the potter. No two jars would be the same. The clay would be different. The timing would be different. The water and the spinning and the artistry of the maker. Every single one of these jars is made uniquely and artistically. In other words, what I'm trying to show you is that just in the simple act that this is a potter at a wheel, there is utility and beauty in every single one of these creations. The question though is, if God is the potter, then what is it that he is trying to make? What is it, what is it that God has a purpose for and a beauty in constructing? Well, he says a couple of times that he is making a people. Look at verse six. He says, uh, very simply, he says that just like clay in the potter's hand, so you in my hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. God is forming a people, a nation, a community, and he is doing it artistically. You know, like cookie cutters. Cookie cutters are good and they're helpful, but I have never once, and I don't think any of you have ever eaten a cookie and thought to yourself, this cookie tastes good, but it would taste better if it was exactly like that cookie over there. No one has ever thought that because the 
artistry, the uniqueness of it is what matters. This should be obviously applicable to all of us. There is no cookie cutter Christian or church, no one size fits all pastor or wife or husband or friends, small groups. No two churches are exactly the same. They are built by God's design. He is the one who is bringing together all of the differences, all of the unique pieces together to form what it is that he has intended to form. When God builds a community, when God builds a family, he is building that in a way that he wants to build it. His hands are dirty. It is a labor. It is within his artistic ability to craft something unique for a purpose. Last week, I encouraged you not to compare your life to the life of other people because inevitably it'll end up in feelings of things not being fair or in some sort of envy or dis. Satisfaction. I think the same is true, not only of your life, but also of your community, of your church, of your family, of your spouse, of your children. You never want to compare your family to another family. You don't want to sit back and look at your church and look at another church and think that that's the way that this should be. That's the way that our pastor should act. This is the way that things should happen because that church does it or that family is that way. God is crafting a people together that will by its nature be unique. It'll have a function, it'll have a purpose, but it will be artistically unique in the way that God has designed it. So the potter is shaping He's taking what is there and forming something for a purpose, artistically, art and utility. However, we live in a flawed world. We are broken people in a broken world. And so you can expect what happens next. It says that the clay in the potter's hands becomes flawed. Think about this. It is within the potter's discretion to set the standard. He and he alone is the one who decides when this is flawed. He is the one who decides that this isn't right, that I need to start again. He is the one who says that this is something that needs to be worked out of this clay. Could you imagine if Jeremiah approached the potter and said, that that doesn't look right. This isn't isn't the way that it is supposed to go. Or maybe conversely, if Jeremiah was to walk up and see the potter begin again, and he says, what are you doing? That was a good one. I liked that one understandably, the potter would respond back to Jeremiah, well, who are you? This isn't your design. This isn't your intention. It is the potter who decides those things. He and he alone is the one who decides, this is going the way that I want it to. This is not going the way that I want it to. The same thing is happening in Christians or in groups of Christians. God is the one who sets the standard. You may desire something different in your faith community or in your small group or in your family. And we should always work for the best of things, but we ought not be the one to make up arbitrary standards that others need to meet. You just can't make up stuff and decide that this is what it means to be a good um, husband or a good wife or a good child or a good pastor or a good friend. These arbitrary decisions where we make up things that aren't actually in scripture or in logic or in reality. God sets those standards. 
God is the one who forms people the way that he wants to form them. Here's another thing that it really leads me to think deeply about, and this is probably the one that most gripped my imagination this week, is that flaws are expected. You should expect things to occasionally not go the way that you planned them to go, right? No one in here disagrees with me on that. You all agree. It's just that we don't live it out that way. We get so unimaginably disappointed when we don't meet our own made-up standards. When we look in the mirror and say we failed a test or, or we didn't say it the way that we wanted to say it or that we didn't come through the way that we... We look in the mirror and we are so disappointed. We ascribe to ourselves a lack of value or purpose or meaning that we are worthless or not to be loved. Flaws are expected. You should expect that there would be flaws, not only in you as an individual, but in your relationships. You didn't marry somebody perfect. I know you know that because you're married. You're, if you're engaged... You're not marrying somebody perfect, all right? There are flaws to be expected. And you will only find those flaws after you are married. That's the way that it goes. That's the same thing about churches. It's the same thing about friendships. I really do feel, I, I, I legitimately feel like one of the worst things about our culture right now is it's rooted like in Facebook and that sort of stuff where we have taken the word friend and made it mean nothing. We don't know how to make friends. We don't know how to be friends. It's as simple as a click of a button. That person's my friend. That person is not your friend. You're not friends with that person, okay? Nor are you a friend simply because you share a bunch about your life. That's just, I don't, that's just self-centered. That's not friendship. Friendships go through like, oh, hey, you've got glaring problems and I love you anyways, you know? That's how you do the friend thing. We just don't know how to, flaws should be expected. We don't allow for people to be flawed anymore. Pastors have to be exactly the standard that we have made up in our minds, even though we haven't ever told him that standard. You have to be it or I'll just find another church or I'll just ignore you or something like that. Same thing with relationships and friendships. Same things with uh, small groups. You get in a group of people, there will be flaws in there, like lots of them. It's the point. It's how it works. Flaws are to be expected in all of our relationships. The potter who is invested reacts to the flaw. Listen, it is not the presence of flaws that should cause us alarm. It is how we react to the flaws that should really cause us to think. I am fascinated by what this story says. It says, and he was making and from the clay became flawed in the potter's hands. So he made it into another jar. It's just that simple. It's just that direct. It's not even hard to understand what's going on. This is the key point, the emphasis of the story. Everything builds to this moment. The potter responds to, it's not that he's making something, it's that he's remaking something. That's what God wanted him to see. That the moment that there was a flaw in the jar, the potter does not get angry. He doesn't throw the whole thing away. 
He doesn't stop or bail or run away. He just reworks it. He just invests more into it. Also, he doesn't change the plan. Originally, the potter wants to make a jar, and then there's a flaw, so he keeps making a jar. The potter doesn't throw away the whole thing just because there's a flaw. He keeps working it. He keeps investing. That's what it says. He gives grace. It is not the potter's fault that the clay is flawed or marred, and yet he takes it upon himself, his responsibility, to fix it. I took a pottery class once, and we were sculpting. So we weren't throwing clay and spinning it at this point. We were sculpting. So we had a block of clay, and we were going to mold it and shape it. And this was one of my first projects, and I really wanted to make a lion, right? Because I'm a guy. I don't know why. I just wanted to make a lion. And I wanted it to look like a, like in my mind, I had this lion sitting there and it was going to have a crown on it and maybe a, a, tra- a robe type of thing. It was going to look like a king lion. And as I formed this lion, as I shaped this lion, it took me a long time to do too. As I formed and I shaped this lion, it became very apparent I was not making a lion. I was making a frog. <laughs> and there was nothing I could do to fix it. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried. And the professor came over and she was helping me. Maybe you should try this. Have you ever seen a lion? That sort of thing. She's like... <laughs> This does not look like a lion. And I was really, I was trying really hard. But eventually I just accepted that I was making a frog. And that's what I made. A very royal, stately frog um, sitting there. I made a frog. A gifted sculptor would know how to fix it. A, like a, like a master sculptor could take that clay and form it into what it is that he or she wants it to be. That's what the potter does. That's what God does. I'm not gifted, but God is. He doesn't run into the flaw. He doesn't see the way that things are going. He doesn't see how things are panning out and how things are shifted and changed and this sort of stuff and and change the whole plan. I was going to make this great father, but it turns out to be self-centered and a jerk. So now we're going to make, I don't know, a jerk. You know, that's... It's not what God does. I was going to make this great person, this Christian, who was going to, going to display my glory to the world, but, but they're so stiff-necked. They're so hard-headed. And so I'll make something different. That's not what he does. It's like, I'm going to make a jar. You're going to be a jar. This might be harder. This might hurt more. But you're going to be a jar. And that's grace. That's good. That's beauty. That's something that we want. You should expect flaws, you should see that this is within the sculpture. Also notice that he is active. I think it's a beautiful picture. Jeremiah doesn't show up to the potter's house and the potter doesn't say, come on in. I have built shelves. This is my museum of my best work. Beautiful. Glazed jars and bowls and cups. The most impressive of my work. That's not what God leads Jeremiah to see. What God leads Jeremiah to see is that the potter was working away. He's always working, that he just keeps working, that he runs into flaws and the clay fights him and there's time, there's energy, and he just keeps working. It's an encouragement, a reminder for us to remember that God is still working. You may think to yourself, well, I'm the worst jar there ever was. 
I'm never going to fulfill his purpose. I'm never going to do what it is that God called me to do. Listen to me. It ain't over yet. He is still working. He's working. He's doing his thing. Ultimately, and this is very important for us to recognize, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You may have memorized this when you were a kid. If you grew up in church, you probably did. If you didn't grow up in church, you could still memorize it. This is what the Bible says. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is, a God, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. As a kid, that's where we stopped. And we would all yell, us, us little boys, we'd yell, boast real loud. That's where we would stop. But here's what it goes on to say. For we are, listen to this, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Ultimately, what God is working on what God is working in your life to develop, to build, to design, the purpose is to glorify God, to trust God. And he does it in this unique, beautiful way. Every single one of you. You trust Christ as your savior and he is working ultimately to bring him glory. I wanna encourage you. I wanna, I wanna challenge you. I wanna beg you to trust Jesus, to trust him as your savior, to trust him as your hero. It's an incredibly simple picture, easy to, uh, to image, easy to see. But when we think deeply about it, what we see, there's more going on. We notice that God is at work, constantly at work in our lives as individuals and in our lives as a community. So we should trust the potter. Here's what I would say to you. The next time that you feel like your life is spinning out of control, you can't catch your balance, you don't know which way is up or which way is right, you gotta trust that the potter knows what he's doing. He is never outside of the control. He's working in and through us. So trust the potter and don't throw yourself away. Don't throw others away. Understand that flaws are expected. It's part of the beauty of this whole trip. It's part of the beauty of this journey. We're going to discover things as we go. And then we'll adjust and we'll help. And then we'll keep going, right? That's what we do as a church, as a family, as friends. When things get tough, don't discard yourself. Don't discard others. When I was making that royal frog. I worked on it for a long time. Like I said, I was trying to make a lion, then I was making a frog. And by the time I got done with it, we're talking about a couple weeks. By the time I got done with it, I was so proud. It really, I'm not joking, it looked like a really cool frog. All right. And, and I was ready to like glaze it and fire it, all that kind of stuff. Professor comes over and she says to me, okay, now you have to cut it in half. If you've ever sculpted, you know what was going on, but I didn't. She says, now you got to cut that thing in half. And I objected. I've been working on this for a long time. You're not going to cut the frog in half, all right? She goes, you got to cut that thing in half. Right through the middle, just cut it in half. And I was like, no, we're not cutting this thing in half. She says, you need to. And without any sort of mercy or heart, she reaches over and takes floss and just cuts that frog right in half, just straight through the middle of it. I felt like something was murdered in front of me. 
She just did it. And then she just looks at me and she says, listen, you have to now cut all of the insides out of that thing. You have to make it thinner, the thinner edges for two reasons. First, if we try to fire that thing, if we put it in the kiln and try to bake it, you know, then if it's that thick, it won't bake all the way through. All right. And it will be flawed. Furthermore, if there is an air pocket in there, if there is a flaw, an air pocket in there somewhere, then it will explode and it will explode. It will break your art. It'll break everybody's art and maybe the kiln. So you have to find the flaws and get them out of there. It's part of it, she says. As much as I hated it, she says, it is part of it. So that's what I did. I worked away for the next week or so, pulling all the inside out of that, married the pieces back together. We fired it, we glazed it, turned out perfect. That's what God is doing. That's what he's doing in your life. That's what he's doing in your church. That's what he's doing in your community. That's what he's doing in your family. You have to get the flaws out. And he's going to work through all of that to make sure that it is right. Or else the whole thing will blow up and hurt other people. So trust the potter and don't throw each other away. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.